Greetings from the team at Vendia, and welcome to Circles of Trust. It's the podcast for leaders across all industries committed to speeding up innovation at scale. I'm your host, Tim Zonka. We're about to dive into a conversation with Brian Kale and James Jimmerginus. Brian is an independent financial services consultant for KPMG, an advisor and board member for a host of organizations and former business solutions executive in data analytics and insights at Bank of America. James is the director of customer success and solution architecture at Vendia, formerly senior director of software engineering, and in both cases, specializing in helping customers securely share their data. In this episode, we explore the complex challenges of sharing data and financial services. And based on Brian's and James's interest in topics like decentralized data, time machining, and so forth, I'm excited to get going. So let's jump in. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. So... I'd love to get started and maybe, uh, you know, both of you, if you could just give a, a bit of your background and, uh, you know, some of the folks in our audience, you know, know James a little bit, but James, I'd still love to have you uh, give a background and uh, Brian in particular, you're new to the show. So I'd love to have you share with the audience, um, what have you been up to over the course of the, the last bit of your career, especially uh, the kinds of financial services solutions you've uh, been part of and delivered and, and some of the scaling that you've done. Um, Brian, because my, my question after that's going to come to you, I'm going to actually have James start. James, if you want to give a, a bit of an intro and then Brian will kind of roll in, into your update. Sure. Yeah. So I started my career in uh, defense and intelligence uh, work, uh, different uh, companies, different um, agencies and departments I worked with. But in all the cases, there was this sort of real drive to balance the need to know, the need to share. And so that's been a, a challenge for many organizations um, you know, for decades, right? Is how do I get the right information to the right people, not overshare or undershare to get to the best decisions, right? Timely, accurate, um, traceable back to the origin of, of why you made a decision. And that's sort of the, the, you know, the big challenge that's faced a number of industries. Um, after that time, I did move to sort of two industry and started working across different uh, industry areas. So financial services, travel and hospitality, and a few others. But in all cases, like no matter the domain, and the domain's interesting and it has, you know, some, some interesting wrinkles, but no matter the domain, the distributed data sharing problem has, has hit pretty much every industry. And the larger and more complex the data collection has been, right, across these different industries, there's lots of different data producers, the, uh, the how to get to the right data and process it has become even more of a challenge. So that's sort of what brought me here to Vendia. Um, and yeah, Brian, I'll pass it to you. Okay, great. Well, since you started about how you got started, I actually started as a teller when I was uh, in college for working for Bank of America. And uh, after I graduated, I did a brief back office type of job. And, and then I eventually talked my way into a entry-level tech job. And in that, in that role, my first exposure to really hardcore technology was selling tandems. So those that have been in the industry for a long time know what those are. They're like nonstop systems. Now they're called HP nonstop systems. Uh, they were one of the original scalable, resilient architecture engineering things. And so I went through all kinds of training on that to learn how to build for scale. From there, I worked into some desktop development, uh, and my first exposure to a uh, you know data centric world was taking over a just a small reporting team uh, that was tasked with supporting Bank of America's adoptions of Six Sigma in the card operations division, and so that was uh, really I learned a lot in that role about just about every mistake you could make in terms of how to manage data, how to deal with data because I was in an application centric mindset, and doing that in uh, in analytics is a completely different animal. But uh, over time, we evolved from reporting to more analyticals and scalable type of uh, platforms like Cognos and with their data cube functionality and things like that. From that point, I moved on to supporting various business functions, uh, different business groups that we supported from ATM, debit, credit card, and mortgage, looking how to drive out value from leveraging just many different types of technology from your Java development languages, .NET, batch processing, online processing, messaging, APIs, analytical solutions from Tableau to Hadoop. Uh, and then as an information management executive at one point within my career, I really had to deal with the challenges of, of data centralization and the consumption at scale. How do you do this at scale? And then decide what do you centralize? What do you decentralize? You know, What do you put in the hands of the user? What do you 
what do you centralize? So those were really uh, good learning lessons to figure out and learn how to deal with information and how to use that uh, and how to disseminate information between different stakeholders. And uh, so when I found out about Vendia and got some, um, some overview, I thought it was very fascinating to see the solutions that uh, had, I think, came up with, the team had come up with to deal with really industry-wide problems and challenges. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. And Brian, you know, it seems like it's probably an understatement to say you have a, a particularly rich track record in financial services. And you listed off just a handful of some of the um, areas, especially within like consumer banking. Um, but over the course of the last few years, like what's been your biggest focus area or, or areas? So really from the last five years was the culmination of a massive uh, project in the mortgage space. And that was to convert from a legacy countrywide platform to an industry standard um, vendor hosted platform. And that was particularly challenging because this system had been built up for over decades uh, and the bank wanted to move to something that was more standardized. And that old system had like 300,000 elements that they had to consolidate. They weren't unique, there was duplicates, but you have to rationalize that down to a core set of elements to map to the target state. And that was uh, an enormous task of, of complexity to understand you know, what is the nature of this data and what is it used for from a processing perspective? What does it mean in a business context? And how does that reconcile with the different processes on the other system. And, and that, was, that was quite the challenge. And we, we successfully implement that, implemented that in 2020. And then I ended up retiring uh, from the bank in 2021. So that was um, really a significant effort of integration as well as uh, data rationalization. You know, and it seems like, you know, is it, if it's that, you know, massive project or, or some of the others, that you mentioned in one of our previous discussions, what are you most proud of that, you know, you and, and one of your teams has done, or, you know, many of your teams have done over the course of the last, let's say five or so years? Well, I think it comes down to that project there. Uh, so Bank of America had bought Countrywide in 2008, 2009 timeframe, and uh, really inherited a ton of problems. The company needed to go over. I joined a whole bunch of senior leaders coming over from different areas of the bank to try to deal with this issue. And it really came down to the there was a lot of default mortgages and not getting into, you know, what was the root cause of that? We had to deal with the what the issue was uh, that in terms of resolving those issues and the legacy systems were not designed to handle those volumes. We had to come in and, and clean, do a lot of cleanup. And as part of that cleanup eventually was the replacement of that system to basically move it out of the whole process and move to something industry standard. And the, the size of that effort, like I said, 300,000 elements that needed to be reconciled to target state. And the team did an amazing job of distilling all that noise down into a distinct about 10,000 unique core data elements um, and captured all of that metadata and lineage into a metadata repository. And, you know, when, when dealing with large amounts of data across multiple stakeholders, you have to have good metadata or it's basically a data swamp. So that's, uh, it's just something that I can look back on with great pride and very proud of the team that took something so complicated and, and put it into a nice, elegant solution that could be used for the coming years to understand what's going on with the business and how to measure the business uh, and, and get, gain insights from it. Yeah, that's that's a pretty fantastic way to to kind of wrap things up there. Congratulations on that. Well, what about um, so when we were preparing for the show, the the two of you started to dive into a, a few details that Brian in particular seemed to really you know catch your attention. And so I want to spend some time diving in, into each of those. One was around some decentralization. Uh, one you t uh, the two you talked about some uh, cross cloud and just the, the complications associated with uh, especially you know sharing and redundancy across clouds, and then the last thing is around um, kind of rollback or kind of time machining. So let's start with decentralization. Um, you know most data sharing systems today they're centralized. So what do you think has made centralized data sharing solutions kind of the norm over the last I don't know two or three decades? Well, it comes down to, it's a decentralization versus centralization. Why do you want to centralize? Well, with, when you centralize, you get more control, all things being equal. Uh, you get standardization and, and that reduces a volatility and variability in the process. So that's been a very attractive way to, um, to build the data solution. 
And it's a similar approach to when things used to be in mainframe. It was in one spot and you could control it. And, and by centralizing, you had that consistency. Uh, as businesses have become more sophisticated, more complicated, more steps, and more things have become automated, those monolithic approaches have become somewhat of a bottleneck to innovation. And so when you look at, and this applies, that paradigm applies in just all across the technology space. And that's why cloud is a distributed platform for processing. It's not just one big box. It's thousands and thousands of machines that are leveraged to provide that capability, that, that power for processing. Likewise, if you centralize, you do have that, you have that control just by nature of being centralized, then you become a bottleneck to the innovation that needs to happen. And it makes it more difficult to change uh, and adapt to the speed of business. And, and that's why when we talked about how uh, Vendia does this distributed distribution of this, of this information, I found it fascinating. Uh, and, and it made sense to me because of the need to change, to adapt to the, the business climate, the business opportunities. Um, it also, one of the things I've seen when you centralize, you have contributions of data from different groups and those different groups have different use cases and different business contexts that they work with it. And when you centralize, it's very difficult to understand the local use case because what you're trying to do is standardize, which means I want to make, make something that is consistent for all, but consistent for all doesn't necessarily work for a specific use case or a specific business case of, of how you're going to use that data, what, what you view as the truth. And so having that kind of centralized mindset does make it very difficult to share data. You know, I think James can kind of speak to, you know, and I think we just bringing up the reviewing of how that works in the uh, Vendia space, I think is, you know, is a very interesting and, and, and appropriate, you know, segue to this conversation. Yeah. I'd love to dig into that. So James, could you give, you know, give a bit of an overview of what is some of this decentralization that, you know, you and Brian talked about and um, kind of just for the audience and, and then we can pick that apart a bit. Sure. Yeah. And this is actually, um, I have a pretty, a pretty good story on this one too. It was uh, early in, in my uh, tenure at Vendia, working with a travel and hospitality customer and the folks in the ecosystem. So a couple airlines, a settlement group, very much used to that centralized model. And so we're on an early call and um, we had agreed upon the data model, we had the APIs. And so the, the notion of Vendia is basically each of these participants has their own copy of the ledger, right, of the data storage. They have their own copy of the APIs, but they're consistent because there's a consistent data model that, that links all of those different groups together. But they do have their own, you know, authorization, authentication, and their own view of the data so that you know data protection can be incorporated so that if one party doesn't necessarily want another party to see the data or all the data or some portion of the data, they have the ability to control that. So the the real paradigm shift was in hearing this conversation, it was kind of eye-opening for me, is that group was very used to having a centralized aggregator, right, who they had to depend on to create new APIs for them for their use case, to create you know new new reports to report out to them. And in this case, we were in the discussion and there, the question was on for revenue accounting team, when can you build the API that will let me generate the report that I need for my revenue accounting? And, you know, the, the central you know, party at the time who was who was part of this initiative as well said, well, all the data is actually there. Like we don't we don't need to build an API for you. You actually can just build a client to pull that data yourself because now you have a full fidelity you know, of that data at your disposal on your own endpoints. And so it went from that, that model that Brian talked about, which is you know, that central party ends up taking on all the operational responsibility, all the development responsibility. They often do this you know, to benefit themselves by getting the data, but it also places a heavy burden on their development and operational teams. And by decentralizing, you're actually able to you know, allow others to, to you know, almost take a self-service approach to some of these operations like, you know, in this case, a, a revenue accounting report that could be pulled periodically. Um, that central yeah. party is all of a sudden not in the game of having to build that custom API for that external group. That external group actually has all the data and all the power to do so themselves. Yeah, I think the, the sweet spot here is um, when you centralize, you get that centralized control, right? Well, if you're in a, a 
a group where there isn't one person who's in charge, right? It's a team, it's a partnership, it's a, a group of entities that are working together, then who gets to be the arbiter or of, of the, the truth, you know? And does it override my version of the truth? And I, and I have to trust that person that they're going to protect my information. And, and it typically is all of my information because I put it all out there and it gets all put into this gigantic data store. And then that centralized entity is the one that's responsible for protecting that data. I, I think this is a great um, next paradigm, next phase type of approach to things where you can say, I only want to share what we've agreed to share. I'm going to control who gets to see it, who gets to share it. And I have all of my information uh, that I need to have. And that really does remove the bottlenecks because it's no longer that centralized authority that has to build the reports and publish it out because they're doing all kinds of massaging the data to make it all consistent for every, all users. That's not necessarily the right thing to do is to make it all consistent because when you make it all consistent, you oftentimes lose business context. You lose uh, that ability to define what does it mean in my business context? Because it may not be identical. It, and as well as, I'll give you an example in the financial services space. If you have an online presence and you have a, a credit card and you have a mortgage and I say, this is my address and I'm putting this information online. And then I say, oh, this is my address and this is, and it's for my mortgage. And this is my address for my credit card. Well, those things may not match. And if you have a centralized authority, then they either have to pick one or they have to make it uh, store it three times, potentially. There's all kinds of logic that exists in there. And, and then you have to coordinate with all of those different groups for each element. What is the rule for the currency of this? Of, of what is the priority of this? What is the, the, how do conflicts get resolved? When you push that out to the groups that actually understand the nature of the data, I think that really removes the friction from the process, but also makes it so that you can get the benefit of sharing without having the overhead of the centralization. I think the other the other piece on that, um, I'm curious, have you seen cases, and I think the address may be a good one, where access to the data should be provided, but only for a short period of time? So like as the author, I can actually allow, you know, in the address case, yes, I'm applying for a loan, I will let, you know, the bank see my personal information for some period of time, but then I can actually allow it to expire and change the access controls. I guess, does that resonate? Is that sort of another sort of next, well, now that you have that power to be able to do that dynamically, how does that shape? When we look, when we look at what's happening in, the, in, in Europe with regulations about giving ownership of the data to the consumer and saying that I don't want you to have my data anymore, you, I need to want you to forget about my data. Those are all complexities that have to be um, built into the existing monolith or these existing centralized systems. And when you look at the complexity of, uh, at some of the enterprise environments, that becomes very, very difficult. But if you have that on the front end to where someone is coming in and, and defining that in the front end, then I think you it does simplify, distributes the workload across as opposed to centralized where they become the bottleneck. So, yeah. You know, what about like, James, I, I think what's interesting about that question is like, it's like the advanced version of some of the decentralized sharing that we just talked about to take a, maybe the other way, like a more basic question is Brian, I'd be curious to hear from you. Like, it sounds like, as I hear the two, you talk about kind of the power of decentralized, uh, decentralized model. There's then the inertia of, but that's not the way that many industries, including like financial services has done it for so long. And Brian, you've seen enough of this, you know, at scale across multiple organizations. What do you think it would take to like overcome that inertia of, you know, we've done this in a centralized manner for a while, even though there are, are you know, a handful of benefits in decentralizing it? Well, uh, you know, anytime you're, you work in a, a large, large organization, you're going to have the benefits of scale. And then you're going to have the disadvantages of, of bureaucracy or inertia, where it's just such a large organization. Once it gets moving, it's extremely powerful, but changing is very difficult. And I think that it really comes down to doing it incremental successes on a small scale to 
to build confidence in approach and then achieve those results and then roll them out incrementally over time. That's how it needs to happen. And the same paradigm exists in cloud. You know, financial services weren't the first adopters of cloud, right? And, and that's for good reason, because information protection is, is you know, of paramount importance. And that will always be the case that protecting a, a customer client data is, is extremely important and uh, is of the utmost priority. Um, so when you see some financial institutions that will, you know, will not name that had, you know, breaches, that definitely didn't encourage other banks to, to go out of that, yeah. uh, into that space. However, uh, there is recognition across the industry that in order to meet the customer expectations of, of serving them in the way that they want to be served, whether it be um, in a branch or a um, client meeting location or online, mobile, whatever, uh, you have to have a flexible infrastructure. That's where cloud comes at. That's what cloud gives you. Uh, so you need to do that. Uh, you need to get in that, you need to head in that direction at some point. Uh, and the pace at which you do that is is determined by your risk appetite. And financial services tend to have very, very low risk uh, profiles in that they, they don't have tolerance for risk. But you can, you know, not all data is the same. Not all data is um, super, super uh, restricted. Some of the data is fairly public and you can share that information to build confidence uh, to build best practices and to experiment with these type of things. So from my perspective, I, I've always pushed the envelope of what, you know, trying to innovate um, within a very large organization. And so you do that by, you know, incremental approaches, incremental successes. And I think, you know, the way that we look at Vendia and, and the, their particular offering, I think, you know, you don't have to go in with a big bang. In fact, I suspect that it's probably not the recommended way to do it. In fact, most, most groups don't do it that way. And then I've also seen where you, let's say you have a very complicated process that you want to run in the cloud. Well, you build it in parallel, all right? So you build in the cloud so that, and you can then recon, reconcile against production. Uh, so if you were looking to try to do something like, uh, something like you could do with uh, Vendia and you have a, a very complicated process, well, just replicate that in in the in the cloud with Vendia as a disaster recovery capability, uh, and then reconcile to make sure it's prop working properly. You, you control the volume, how much is in there, how much exposure, how much risk you take, and then you can um, build the confidence and the knowledge base that way. And then you know you mentioned um, you know you started talking a bit more about cloud. I think decentralization gives us like a unique capability to do some things from a cross-cloud perspective. And I want to dig into that, but before we do so, is there anything else on the decentralization topic that either of you guys want to dig into? Um, just just the, the, the general comment is, is decentralization or centralization, they're not right or wrong. It's just, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And if you're trying to change, evolve, centralization isn't the way to go. It's decentralization. If you're trying to standardize and make consistent, then centralization is very effective. Um, the use cases that I've seen for Vendia is you're trying to do something new. You're trying to create new bridges of communication and collaboration across firms. You know, you can't, you, there's no effective way to do that um, by centralizing mm -hmm. because no firm is going to say, I'm going to give you all of my data and I'm going to trust you with it. It's just, it's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, what they might do is say, well, I'll share some of my data and you share some of your data and let's put it in a place where we can, you know, we can control it. And, and I feel good about what I'm doing. I think that's that's the path forward for uh, and why why decentralization makes sense. I'd love to dig into a bit of the cross cloud stuff. So, James, can you tee up and maybe share a little bit about um, it, from an architectural perspective? how Bendia works in this decentralized way and what that means across clouds. And then we could, we could use that as a framework to dig into some of the um, items I want to chat about from a multi-cloud or super, you know, whatever your moniker is for working across many clouds. Sure. Yeah. So with Bendia, so we have this concept of a universal application, which is a collection of nodes that can share data back and forth. And so knowing that the participants can't always pick their partners' clouds, right? That's kind of the joke is you can pick your partners, you can pick your cloud, you can't pick your partners' cloud. 
So knowing that, we as a platform have to be able to, to stand on you know all the major cloud providers. And so what that means is a few things. One is it gives you as a user of our platform the ability to pick your cloud of choice and make the most of your investment, but also still collaborate and work with the partners of yours who may have made a different choice, right? And that's sort of essential to the ability to, to hit decentralization and really make the most of it. Um, a second part there is that the cloud providers that we're currently running on and we have you know future plans to expand into have the capacity, both you know processing, storage, networking, um, that are really you know phenomenal, right? Unheard of, un unparalleled. And so by building a platform on top of those services, we've given our customers the ability to to make use of that processing, that compute, um, that storage. And building that into our, for example, our consensus mechanism gives us the ability to parallelize and, and execute consensus at a at a rate much higher than most other you know platforms that look similar. So the cloud for us is a it's an opportunity to allow people to onboard more quickly and get to a, a wider partner group than they would otherwise. B it allows those partners to make the most of their investment in their cloud services they already have have invested heavily into. And then C, it gives us sort of the, the compute and storage that um, will sort of set us apart as a platform as well. So it's beneficial for all those reasons. Um, now, knowing that being able to make the most of the different clouds that we do operate on um, is really important because that allows us then to um, bring the same sort of architectural approaches. So API gateway, processing, storage, consensus, event-driven you know, transactions, you know, inbound and outbound to a node but doing that in a cloud native way so that if I'm on, you know, AWS and I have, you know, a, a SNS topic giving me a, a notification that some data has changed, I can do the equivalent thing on GCP. I can do the equivalent thing on Azure. Uh, and by doing that, I allow these sort of automated workflows to exist. So in that, in that sense, you know, if the three of us are collaborating on a universal application, we each have a node, I make a change, you both get informed and then can take corresponding actions. And as soon as you do that, you know, the other parties are, are aware as well. That's the type of, you know, automated cross-cloud workflows that are really powerful and will, you know, sort of lend themselves to the next business model, right? That, that today is just not, not possible because of the amount of time and effort you would need to connect the three of us in a meaningful way. Right. I think that that multi-cloud approach is a non-negotiable, right? I think that if you, you know, each cloud provider would be would basically want to tell you, you can do everything on our cloud and, and you should, you know, because look how much easier it is. We've got all this functionality that we've built in to accelerate your, all the bells and whistles for our cloud. And it's, of course, it's proprietary to our cloud that we want to use. And that's, many, many different uh, companies are just going to say, yeah, let's just make it simple because cloud is redundant. You know, they've got, they're distributed all over the place and that's going to be great. That is an improvement over having your own, you know, server in a closet. I mean, hands down way better. Yeah. But every, you know, no system is completely perfect and uh, with and impossible to uh, to bring down. So there's there's always some little risk that has to, that, that's out there. So there will be certain uh, industries that say, you know, we need to have more redundancy. And so they go to the cloud because that gives them some redundancy. But then they're also going to say, we want to be across multiple clouds so that, you know, if one cloud goes down, you know, if, if Azure or, or AWS has a hiccup, we don't feel it because we mm -hmm. can dynamically switch across. So having that, that, that ability to, to interact with multiple cloud instances is, is, is paramount. And the reality of it is, is that most businesses, if they have a function, there's going to, they're not going to have that across multiple clouds. They're going to have it in one cloud provider, and they're going to want to deal with somebody who's not on another cloud. And and having that ability to stretch across them is is going to be, you know, that's that's table stakes, right? For 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 the client. Yeah, so absolutely. When I hear two things from you guys, you know, James, I think you were talking about you know, partners choosing their own clouds. And, you know, Brian, I think you you reiterated that, but kind of added an element if I hear it right, which is, hey, even within one organization, they, for redundancy reasons, they may want to have multiple clouds. Absolutely, absolutely. If, if you've got, if you're a financial services firm and you've got your deposits platform and you're, you're hosting it in the, in the cloud, I, you know, the regulator's not going to be real excited about, you are dependent on Amazon. Right. Yep. They're going to say yep. Amazon and who else? 
you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so they're going to want to say, can you distribute this work workload across? There's complexity in there because if you build a proprietary to the cloud and, and dependent direct, really deep integration and dependency upon those cloud specific capabilities, then you're going to have a potential problem uh, of going across. But if you abstract it, you know, I think that you can have, you know, then it's just infrastructure across multiple yeah. different providers. And that's where, you know, you have a, a data line using Verizon and one using uh, T-Mobile or, you know, some other provider. That's a good, that's a really good analog. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. um, good comparison. Yeah. I um, I know there's a, a recent, um, the State of DevOps report came out, you know, just a few weeks ago. And, you know, one of the findings in there was of the companies they surveyed, more than 50% reported having more than one cloud provider that they're using. So this is not a, a sort of thought, like thought down the road. This is happening now actively, yeah, right? Right, right. And one of the reasons for that, that, you know, the top three were availability, the ability to get sort of the unique benefits. So like per service, which is the, the cloud that I choose, who has the best, you know, IoT platform, who has the best ML platform, those type of things. But then the big one, and Brian, you hit this, the, the third one is like the trust, right? The, the sort of putting all your eggs in one basket, just not being acceptable for many companies and the need to sort of spread that risk and trust, you know, around is very important. I think. You know, from a Vendia perspective, one of the big benefits here is that, you know, if you think about this this universal application network, instead of hiring a, a entirely separate DevOps team, building all the infrastructure as code, going through that entire like security and accreditation process, proving out each service, getting the buy-in of the organization, if you can more simply just spin up a new node, know that that data is completely synced at all times with the other cloud of your choice, then that investment you need to get to multi-cloud resilience, right? And to experiment with different services goes down significantly. And so that's, you know, the other value prop here is if, if we as a platform allow you to do that more easily, the other 50% who aren't currently doing that have a much you know easier path to get there. Even if it's as, you know, sort of initial step, right? It's step one, it gives you some level of, you know, distribution of the trust and, you know, putting your eggs and sort of spreading your eggs across multiple baskets, even if that's a first step, it's an easy first step. Now that's no longer a, mm -hmm. you know, multi-million dollar, multi-team investment. It's a, it's a decision you make, you know, with a, a few clicks of a button. I think it's a really great point. Um, looking to go into the cloud, there's different ways you can approach it. You can say, well, I'm going to uh, you know, I've kind of been fast and loose with my infrastructure for the last 20 years. I'm just going to go in the cloud and you pop it in there and your your risk probably from a resiliency perspective has dropped, but your your risk from exposure or a data loss perspective skyrockets yeah. because now it's all over the place, right? So if you're going to do it right, then James's commentary about millions of dollars to spend to certify that your what you're building is is uh, secure is is not an exaggeration at all. I mean, it, it's... It's a tremendous effort to build something that is secure and that is highly secure in the cloud. So if you've done it already and you're just onboarding, then that's there's a huge difference in terms of cost between onboarding to a service or building it from scratch. And um, and so that's that's definitely a compelling business case. That makes sense. Uh, you know, um, kind of shifting topics. One of the other things that really jumped out at, uh, at you, Brian, when we were last talking was. You know, as you're sharing data is like, not only is it possible and is it possible across clouds, but do we know what happened <laughs> and, and, oh, and yeah. we all believe it. Absolutely. So you, you, you really jumped like kind of one of the topics that jumped out at you is like lineage or what, what James called time machining or kind of rollback. Why did that jump out at you? Well, in financial services, um, which is my primary, primary experience, what I've seen is, is that you calculate something or you you say that this is a, a piece of information that's really valuable and it's not what people expected it to be. If you can't reconcile how it got to that point, then you lose trust. Then you lose confidence in the information and then people don't use it. Or you spend all your time circling the drain, trying to figure out what, what the heck happened and you have a bunch of people just pontificating about what the possible cause is. But if you can roll back and say, this is what it was at this point. This is what it was at this point. This is what it was at this point. And here's where those changes took place. Then you can determine one, it's right or it's wrong, but not 
it's not a system mistake, it's a people mistake. And you can say, we've got some process change that we have to make between the partnership, between the stakeholders to say, all right, we need to, we need to, we need to change the rules here, right? But that, that if you've got an audit trail or a rollback capability that shows you the history, as well as who made the change where it came from, then you can have a conversation that's productive as opposed to just circling the drain, trying to point fingers as what the problem is. And I'm telling you, trust, you know, any system that deals with data that's used for decisioning, you have to have trust. You have to trust the data. And those that contribute to that trust have to have confidence that what they contribute will be consistently applied in, in the decisions and not misrepresented. So all of those things create this need for traceability because an audit trail is, I mean, generally accepted accounting principles, you know, audit trail, that's the foundation of financial reporting in the market. And that's why this country is, is I think, a big contributor to good standards for financial reporting is, is that, you know, you got to have an audit and you just got to be able to mm -hmm. say how you calculated these things. And when you don't have that, you lose trust. And then if you if you don't have trust, you can't have a, can't have a um, an effective partnership. Yeah, it's that's definitely true. And you know, in every industry that that I've seen, that the ability to trace back data to its source and know what the source is increased trust instrumentally. And without that, you you have doubts, right? So think of an IoT network, you know, sensing temperatures within refrigeration units that are moving around the country, right? Trucks and that type of thing. If I know that the sensor in that truck was checked a week ago, likely still working, I can look back and see when it was manufactured, who the manufacturing was, what the you know error rates on those sensors are. That gives me a much different set of context that I can use to to think that the measurements that are being calculated to let me know that you know that my groceries are actually safe to eat is very different than I just get a thing that says, yeah, the average temperature in a truck was 32 degrees, right? And yeah. Like those two pictures, right? It's minus 50 and it was 100 degrees and everything spoiled, but it, yeah. but average, it was fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like at the two dashboards, right? One is like, here's when the servicing was done on the truck. Here's when the, the part was bought, purchased. Who's here the purchases? This is the history of the that part, you know, over time and its, its likelihood of, you know, being correct. And the other one is just a temperature. Like I know which of those two you know, dashboards, I'm going to have a lot higher confidence in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously it's a passion point for me. <laughs> and James, can you touch a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the stuff that Brian highlighted, like how does Vendia make that possible or, or not? Yeah. So I think the, you know, the first thing is to start with a ledger, right? Because with a ledger, you have the ability to collect this information over time and it's the history of that information. So we have this, this notion of a ledger, which think of that as your you know, deposits and withdrawals right, over time. And then you have this notion of a world state, which is the current reading, so the balance. right? And so I, I will often just want to know the balance, but there are times when I want to know how did we get to that balance. And so by mm -hmm. having the ledger, which keeps all of the transactions, every modification to that value over time, I can go back and, and both know what it, was, what it is today, what it was yesterday, how we got there, what the, what, you know, what the differences are, and then you know, most importantly is who, who made the changes, right? So in these multi-party scenarios, I, I may not just care about you know, what the transactions were, but actually where did they come from? Uh, and by bringing all that together in a single place, now I have, a, again, much higher confidence in what I'm looking at, much higher trust. So I think that's, that's part of what Vendia you know, provides is that ledger. The other thing it provides is the ability to not really have to think about any of this when you're interacting with the system. Right, because what we've done is you provide an API to let's say um, you know create a make a deposit. You make that call through the API to Vendia. All the other ledgering, transactional history, recording who did it and when, and creating the block sequence to know that it's it's immutable and it hasn't been tampered with. That's all pushed to the platform. So as a developer, I need to know how to make an API call. I don't actually need to worry about all the other complexity behind it to keep that consistent ledger. Um, and that, I think that's the, you know, one of the big, um, yeah, benefits of a platform like ours. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 the space of data quality and consistency and data security is, um, is a skill set on its own and the complexity continues to increase. And if you put the burden on compliance with those types of non-functional requirements on an individual developer, you're running the risk of 
you know, do they have the right skill sets to do this? They may be great API developers and they may understand the business process so that the, the API structure properly, but they may not know the most current, you know, information security standards and vulnerabilities mm-hmm. on how to, how to secure the environment. And so that, because that creates an, a, a vulnerability in and of itself and, and why it's always better to reuse something to, than to build it and you build to differentiate. Uh, and I think that's, you're not, it's not like you're throwing off all of your capabilities to a centralized environment, but you're taking a certain core complexity, standardizing it, you know, centralization in some respects, this functionality is now centralized with Vendia, um, but it's very compartmentalized and it's containerized to where it's not this big monolithic behemoth. It's got, is a very open environment that you can plug into, plug and play, and and then be able to leverage that quickly as opposed to having to build all of these integrations yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's the, it's the error scenarios in the distributed computing world where, where you start to, you know, really have to just, you know, line by line, design by design, come up with the right way to, to handle those. Right. It's, right. it's the, how do you deal with consensus when there's network variability, when there are blips that you aren't expected, when, you know, one of your participants happens to be offline for a bit of time, those are the which challenging, oh, which happens all the time, right? In a yes, network system yes. that happens, yeah, it right, happens. constantly. Yeah. And to and be the able networks to handle, today are way better than they were 20 years ago, but they still happen. It's still, you know. Yeah, and be, to, be able to, to be able to handle each of those failure scenarios correctly with the consistency across your partners, like that's where many, I think many people um, will get it working. They won't get it working in all the failure cases. And it's right. in those all cases, cases where you end up, yeah, the edge end cases up getting burned. Yeah. Well, and the whole financial crisis of 2008, 2009 was an edge case. I mean, in terms of the modeling mm-hmm. for all of these, these uh, Wall Street bankers, they were like, oh, the chances of this happening are remote. You know, the right. market, the housing market is not going to, to, to collapse. And yeah, well, the, the chances were remote, but the consequences were enormous. Right. right. So you've got to handle those edge cases. And it, that's where the specialization comes in. You've got to have that expertise and you can build it yourself. It's not like it's something that's so hard that nobody else can do it. But do you want to, you know, do you want to build your own car? (laughs) Do you want to build your own furniture? Do you want to, you know, do you want to grow your own food? You know, specialization uh, gets you a lift and are, are there better investments of your time in terms of your business process as opposed to a very specific integration technology method? Uh, where where should you be investing? And you know, my view is, is you know, re, reuse before you buy, buy before you build, and build to differentiate. That's great. You know, I want to shift a little bit in uh, into um, kind of opportunities or things you're excited and worried about over the course of the next little bit. You know, Brian, at the onset of the call, you said you you know you retired, but it sounds like you were kind of engaged with multiple organizations and kind of like at the coal face of still really kind of cutting edge projects and technology. Uh, James, you're at a startup where same thing, you're working with customers who are pushing the envelope. I'd love to hear from the both of you. Um, you know, Brian, maybe you first is, so if you look out over the next 12, 24 months or so, what are you most excited about from a data sharing perspective and, and what are you most worried about? So, um, yeah, and I, yeah, I'm not fully retired. I retired from, from the bank, but I did quit working. Um, it was more of a, I would, I had done something very, very large, uh, multi-year, huge project. And I decided I wanted to do something different, but, uh, so the consulting has been great. In terms of what I see, you know, coming up, I mean, distributed processing is, is the future. I mean, it's undeniable. Uh, that's it's more powerful than a monolithic approach. It's more flexible, and it scales much better than doing everything centralized. It's just it's the reality. However, there's a flip side to that. Whenever you distribute, you have management challenges, and trying to if you distribute without having figuring out how to manage that distributed environment, you're going to have a mess on your hands. And from what I've seen, uh, you know, Vendia has really addressed that management challenge. You, you can now distribute these things, uh, but it's still managed. It's just managed in, a, in an automated way as opposed to manual because you can't do it manually. It won't scale. And that's been proven throughout history. Uh, there's always a breaking point to a manual process. Um, but if you've got an automated scalable process for managing a distributed environment, then you get the benefits of distribution 
distributed processing, and you can manage the complexities that come with it. So uh, again, you know, you look at the cloud. The cloud is distributed. However, if you if you have containerized applications and they are in a serverless architecture, to where as uh, as the volume or the load increases, the number of instances increase automatically. A triage of issues supporting that environment is extremely, extremely difficult and pretty much impossible at scale. However, if you can leverage uh, a platform or some sort of monitoring that can automate that or automate the management of that, then uh, you can take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, so, you know, I think my worry is, is that firms are going to, you know, firms go in to the cloud without understanding the operational aspects of how to implement at scale and how to manage that environment. So they're going to say, well, you know, I built a monolithic environment in the on-prem in a data center, and I gathered all this information and I put it in a Hadoop cluster. And then I did all these things. I'm just going to do that in the cloud. They're going to have challenges. I, I really, I think they're going to have challenges with, with managing the complexity of the environment in the cloud. Um, or they're going to have challenges with managing the trust between different partners. Mm -hmm. And that's even if they can get partners to agree yeah. to put all their data into one area controlled by one of the, you know, one of their partners. So that uh, that's what I see is that's my concern. And I think that uh, firms like Vendia are essential to consider for those type of challenges. James, what about you? I think the thing I'm most excited about is seeing more of our customers get to production, get to, you know, scale, continue to grow their networks. You know, we have we have plenty of stories there, but just continuing to add to them and seeing these different use cases and all the different industries, you know, come to life. I mean, we're we're seeing that, you know, in front of our eyes, you know, on a weekly basis at this point where we get, you know, a new customer will be live and we'll, you know, sit there and watch the operational dashboard and see the the number of transactions ticking up. Um mm -hmm. You know, that, that's always exciting. I mean, just, you know, from, from my um, role here at Vendia, just seeing customers be successful at the platform and, you know, and building businesses on top of it is, is awesome. Um, so more of that was, is definitely what's, what gets me excited. I think on the, on the challenges side, you know, we've been fortunate um, as a platform in that we have had customers who get it, right? They, they understand the paradigm shift. They see, you know, three or four years down the road of how things are going to be and they've jumped on. It is challenging to to make that mental shift. I mean, it took me quite some time. You know, I'll go back to to um, you know the serverless days at AWS when Lambda first came out, and it took me a while to really get the value prop of mm -hmm. serverless compute. Right, and I just having always provisioned servers and and dealing with you know like hardware, right, and running hundreds of of you know on prem machines, keeping those up to date, like this notion of there's not just a server in the cloud, but there's actually a server in the cloud that I don't even have to ever access, right? That took some time. And I think we're in a similar place with distributed, you know, decentralized, you know, ledger-based data sharing. Um, I think there's early adopters who see the value prop. I think that over the next few years, it'll be telling to see how much more adoption and usage we, we can drive. And how long it takes people to, to get it? I know for you know for myself with Lambda, it took maybe six or twelve months before I really started to see the the benefits and the value. And I think you know fast forwarding here at Vendia, I hope that over the next few years we do see that you know that sort of uptick right in in just not just adoption in Vendia, but just the the paradigm shift of thinking about the data sharing problem with partners in a decentralized versus centralized way. Thanks. And to kind of wrap things up, uh, Brian, one final question for you. Uh, you know, it's the magic wand question. So if you could uh, wave a wand and unlock something for, you know, maybe it's KPMG or one of the other companies you work with and around data sharing over the next year or so, you know, what would you, what would you unlock for them? I, I think that, you know, a distributed approach and understanding how that works and the value proposition, as well as how the security um, and data protection capabilities have evolved, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, I'd like to see that kind of be a breakthrough for a lot of clients and partners. It's, I think that the capabilities exist, there's just not a broad understanding of what those capabilities are and how, how you would leverage them. And, and those, you know, that just takes a long time to build that trust. Uh, yeah. And and to socialize the understanding, uh, you think, uh, you know, James says it took six, 12 months for him 
who had uh, was working within the within AWS and was privy to all of the discussions. How much harder is that going to be for someone who's not in the inside that uh, just hears what they're being told by somebody by a vendor, and to you know they have to to, to see it to believe it and then see it over time, uh, and then experience the challenges that any kind of new technology adoption um, encounters and and to deal with those things and say, okay, I understand how it works now. I understand what the pros and cons are. I understand what the gotchas are. And um, and now I get it. Now I get the value proposition because that's the ability to change. You know, change is happening throughout society faster and faster. Businesses are changing, evolving. When I started out in technology, I got to a point where I felt like I pretty much had mastered most of the domains that I had been exposed to. And the environments have gone um, so much broader, you know, exponentially broader and deeper to the point where now there's just that broad understanding that I had in terms of understanding the the, the landscape is, you know, 1% of what's out there today. And so that the, the, under, the ability to, to really go broad and deep is challenging uh, for mm-hmm. most people. And uh, I think that... Um, that distributed approach to to many things, not just you know data sharing, but the distributed approach to putting technology in, I think, is uh, is the wave of the future. And the the architectures and the infrastructure has finally reached the capabilities that needed to to make it practical for use in in everyday business. Great. Well, thanks, you guys. This was awesome to get a chance to have you on the show, have the two of you uh, dive into some of these topics that, uh, that you're both you know, interested in and also you know, experts in. So I appreciate it. So thanks to our guests, you know, Brian and James, for all the talk on real-time data sharing. Um, for those of you listening who uh, want to learn more about some of the organizations or research you know, products that we've mentioned in today's episode or any of our episodes, if you visit bendia.com forward slash podcast, we have all our links there that you can find. When you're ready to keep the conversation going, you could download or stream all of our episodes uh, on Spotify, Apple Music, any of the top streaming services. And if you have a point of view on the challenges or power or potential of real-time data sharing, you want to be a guest on the show, um, just go ahead to either uh, Twitter or LinkedIn and just DM us uh, or at mention us and um, in- include the phrase circle, circles of trust. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you hear, take a moment to drop us a few stars, a favorable favorable review, uh, and share with your colleagues and your network. So until next time, thanks, everybody.